You know, it's fun when you go to a, where you go to church or you go to a Christian event and it's just packed, you know, and just the excitement of the crowd. And I don't know about you, but I, I, just, I, I just like that. I, li- I love going to a Christian activity or, or a church service and you, you can't even find a seat. You're just crammed in there. And, and there's something about the numbers that we can get excited about. And, and really this, this, uh, this story that we're going to look at today is a time in Jesus' life when there's crowds of people that are surrounding him. And the disciples get excited, like I tend to get excited. Like most people in Christian circles in America today get excited when there are crowds at a Christian event. But what Jesus does is he doesn't get excited about it. And he tells his disciples, he goes, yeah, I know, it may look like there's all these people following me, but the truth is, is most of them aren't really following me. Okay, don't get so excited about the crowd. And he says, the truth is, is a lot of them aren't genuinely following me. It, it'd be like if I, if I jumped on the 118 freeway right now, and I looked in my rearview mirror, I can go, oh no, there's 100 people following me. <laughs> okay, they're not really, okay? They just happen to be going the same direction that I'm going. And if I pulled off the freeway and made, made a few turns, I'd realize, oh, there's no one following me. And really what Jesus does in this passage is he gets off the freeway, makes a few turns, and realizes, okay, who's really following me? Because okay, there are plenty of people that go to church, but that doesn't mean they are following Jesus Christ. Because what happens is suddenly Jesus makes some turns. He teaches things that they don't like, and suddenly they go, well, I'm not following him there. And really the truth is, is, well, were you ever really following Jesus, or did he just happen to be going in the same direction you were going? And um, th- this passage is really about that, as Jesus is attracting crowds to himself. We, we pick up the story in, uh, in Luke chapter 8, and it says... After this, and you know, when it says after this, he's referring to the previous passage, which we studied last. That was the passage where the woman was, uh, remember, you know, worshiping Jesus at his feet, wiping his feet with her, her hair and her tears and perfume and everything. He says, well, after that took place, it says, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, that's the twelve disciples were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven spirits had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Stop there. Usually when you read a passage like this, you read those first three verses and go, okay, Jesus walked in this town. Big deal, you skip it and you move on to the meat of the section, right? But there's a reason why this is in Scripture. There's a reason why these three verses made it in. Um, he explains that he's going with his 12 disciples. But it also explains that as Jesus is traveling, he says there's this group of women that are following him as well. It's not just the 12 disciples, but this group of women that came with Jesus. And it says that these were women who had been cured of diseases, cured of demon possession even, and now they are following Jesus gladly. I mean, you can imagine, if you were back then, and, and you, well, even now, and, and yet a serious infirmity is going to take your life, or you're, you're demon-possessed, and someone comes along and heals you of that, can you imagine how you would just want to be near him, and want to follow him, and bless him however you could? That's what these women are doing. It's not obligation, it's not, okay, he said we have to follow him now. It's no, they're coming alongside of him. And it says that these women were supporting Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. And it mentions some by name. It says, you know, there was Mary called Magdalene, because they call her Magdalene because she's from a town called Magdala. 
and uh, to differentiate her from the other million Marys that, that lived at that time. It says, okay, there's Mary uh, Magdalene, um, from whom seven demons had come out. So this is a woman who was possessed by demons, and Jesus healed her. It, it, it mentions Joanna in verse 3, the wife of Cusa. It mentions that she's this man's wife, and Cusa, her husband, was the manager of Herod's household. Okay, it was a very prestigious position that he had, and yet this woman, she's following Jesus. And then it says, then it mentions Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, now it mentions Susanna. It's the only place we hear about Susanna. And I just thought, you know, that's really cool. Um, at least she made it in, you know. I mean, I, I don't have my name in there. You know, it's, it's, there's something really cool about that. But what I, what I loved about it was, what do we know about Susanna? Nothing except she followed Jesus and she helped support him and his ministry and those disciples out of her own income she helped pay for their travels. And I thought, what else would you want to be known for? It would be incredible to be in the pages of Scripture as I was one of the women that traveled with Jesus and I helped support him with everything that I had, I gave to him. And I, I just, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people will make a big deal about the fact that, yeah, but she wasn't an apostle, she wasn't a disciple, and that role was left for the men. And I said, yeah, absolutely, but there's a point of this being in Scripture. Why is it there? Because God is uplifting. This is something that wasn't done in their culture. He was uplifting the women and, and saying, look at what these women are doing for me. Look at their loyalty. Look at their dedication. And he blesses that. He honors that and puts it in the pages of Scripture. And I, I, I say that for a second because, you know what, I know, um, and I've heard through, the church has been, is about eight years old now, and eight and a half years old, and through these years, there have been different women in this church that have totally stepped it up and made it happen here. Um, women who, uh, a lot of single women, widows, who don't have a lot, and I hear these stories about them being the ones that really give to others and care for others. And I just want to take a moment not to, you know, I don't know who you are, and uh, no one else knows who you are, but God does. And just to remind you that, you know, God sees that as something very beautiful, um, something that he honors and puts in the pages of Scripture, your loyalty. And I, I just pray that you stay down that road, and you don't get swept by all the other people who are making a fortune and giving nothing and doing nothing. Um, but you, in whatever you can, you're giving to the Lord, and he sees that. He recognizes that. And I just thought it was awesome that that was even placed in the pages of Scripture here. These women that went along that a lot of times we overlook, and yet God puts them there. Anyways, they're traveling with Jesus. And in verse 4, it says, While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. Jesus, all these people, all these you know, crowds are gathering, and Jesus gets out there to speak, and he tells this story. He tells a story, and I'll illustrate it. The idea is, 
got some pumpkin seeds here, okay, left over from Halloween. He, he says a farmer went out, and he was sowing his seed. He's tossing a seed. He would probably would have a, a, an apron-like thing here, you know, holding the seeds, and he would, you know, kind of pull it out of there and just kind of toss seeds. And he says as he's tossing it, he says some of it fell on the path. Now, that wasn't the farmer's intention. It just fell on the path because as you're throwing it into your field, some of it's going to land on the path in front of you. And he says, what happened to that seed is it got trampled on and some birds took it away. He goes, now some seed, he says some seed fell on, on the rock. And the idea of the rock is it says that it landed on the rock and it sprung up. Now, the point of that is not that you know, a seed could land on a piece of rock and actually grow but the idea was that there'd be some topsoil, like I put here, some topsoil on the, on the rock. And what happened is a seed would land in that just little patch of soil, topsoil. And what happens is when there's no way to go down, it grows up real quickly. And so, uh, you know, this plant springs up. And, uh, and the idea is it has no root. He says it had, it had no root, you know, because it was just on the, on the rock and just on that topsoil. And so what happened is eventually it couldn't get any moisture and so it died. Okay. He says, then there was, a, there was some other seed. And some of this seed uh, fell on the thorns or the weeds. Brought some weeds out of my front yard. And uh, the idea is, he says, some seed fell among the thorns or the weeds. And it says that it tried to grow, but what happened was it got choked. Now, it's not that the weeds came up and, you know, you know tried to, to kill the pumpkin. You know, it just... Uh, what happened was, it's the idea of suffocation. See, when you have all these weeds in there, they suck all the nutrients out of the soil. And so there's nothing left for that seed to grow. And so he says some of that fell in there. And then there was other seed that fell on good soil. The pumpkin seed that fell on the good soil, you know, produced a crop. All right. <laughs> it doesn't really look like that, but I really don't know what it looks like. So, so you throw a bunch of seed in the good soil, and everything was great. And then he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Now, most of you, when you hear that story, you go, I know what he's talking about. Because in hindsight, you can read the explanation later on and everything else, and you go, okay, you're listening, you go, okay, I know what that symbolizes, that symbolizes. Okay, would you forget that for a moment, okay? Because it's so easy to listen to these stories with our knowledge and our hindsight. I want you to imagine you were one of the people back then. You travel to this town because you've heard of this miracle worker. You hear about this man named Jesus who is raising people from the dead. He's healing people of their diseases. He's teaching. And so you run to the city and you finally see him. And you're with a large crowd and you see Jesus. And Jesus gets up and he tells a story. He says, hey, a farmer went out to sow seed. Some land on the path. Some landed on the rock. Some land on the weeds. Some land on the good soil. If you've got ears to hear, Listen. And walks away. I want you to think, what would be going through your mind? You think, what is that all about? Because the truth is, is Jesus didn't give the explanation to everyone. The disciples asked him for the explanation. And then the account in Matthew and Mark explains that Jesus went into the house and, <coughs> and explains it to that small group of disciples. But the rest of the crowd, you've got to imagine what they are going through. What they are feeling. That's all they hear? And let me give you some more context here. Well, well you know, let's, let's read verses 9 and 10. It says, His disciples asked him what this parable meant. Okay, now remember, verse 9, that is done in secret. 
Okay, this is afterward. Read the account in, in, uh, in Matthew 13 and, the, and Mark 4, you know, on, on your own time, and you'll see that some of these details are filled in, that Jesus goes in the house and says this next part. But verse 10, he said, when his disciples asked him, what does that mean? He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Okay, what does he say to his disciples? They're, you know, the disciples get them in the house and they go, Jesus, uh, what was that all about? You're talking about a farmer, you're talking about seeds. What does that mean? And Jesus says, you know what? The secrets of the kingdom, they've been given to you. You get it. You understand it. He goes, and, and, and what that means is uh, that, I, that, that word for secrets is the same word, you know, translated in the Greek of Daniel chapter 2. You remember when, um, when Daniel uh, or King Nebuchadnezzar was given those visions and no one could interpret them, all the diviners, all the magic arts guys, no one knew what he meant, but Daniel was given the secrets. He could unlock the mysteries and he could tell the king exactly what those visions meant. It's the same term used here. And Jesus says to his disciples, you have that power. You can understand the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom. He says, but, he goes, but to the rest of them, to the others, he goes, I speak in parables so that. So that what? Though seeing, they may not really see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Wait, what's he saying? He's speaking in parables so that people won't understand? Isn't that what it says? He was speaking in parables so that, though hearing, they wouldn't understand it. Now, all your life, what did you think parables were for? I mean, why did Jesus speak in parables? So that the, the story would be clear to us, right? It was a good analogy so we could understand, so that there'd be depth in it. And yet what Jesus says, the reason why I gave parables was so that they would hear it and not get it. What is that about? Jesus here is giving people an opportunity this is a, you know, when he says, he who has ears, let him hear. This is a truth that has been true ever since the beginning. There are those who really want to hear the word of God. And what does scripture tell us? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with what? With all your heart. Not half your heart. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you search with all of your heart. God makes a promise. He says, look, if you really want to know me with all your heart, you'll find me. Now, there were those in this crowd, some of them wanted to know Jesus with all their heart. Some of them didn't, really. There, there are people today who, they'll open the Bible and go, that's eh, too hard to understand, I'll put it aside. And then there are others who say, that's hard to understand, but I want to know God with all my heart, so I'm going to dig into this book, and I'm going to understand it. And those of you will find him. You seek, and you'll find when you seek with all your heart. See, what's going on here, he's got a crowd of people, and he speaks in this parable. Why? Because a lot of people didn't really care to know what he had to say. But some did, and they were the ones that were going to pursue it. Those were the disciples who said, hey, what did that mean? I know you're true. The rest of the people... I, you know what? Let me give you some more context. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 3. Okay? Remember I told you in Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, you have, a, you have the same parable spoken. But look what happens in Mark chapter 3. This may even surprise some of you. 
Okay, Mark chapter 4, you know, verse 1 starts talking about the parable of the sower. The exact same story, a different guy is, is retelling the story. But we get some context from Mark as to what took place before this took place, before this parable. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. Okay, what's going on here? You remember the story where Jesus is, you know, his family comes and to get Jesus, and, you know, and someone says, Hey, your mother and your brother and sisters here. He says, who, Who's my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? It's those of you who believe. Remember that? Now, why did the family go to get Jesus? Mark 3 explains. They thought he was out of his mind. Why were they going to get Jesus? It says they came to take charge of him because they thought he was out of his mind. They're thinking, who is this? This is our son. This is my brother. How is he attracting these crowds and pretending to be this teacher? He's crazy. Let's get him out of here. Then it says that the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, are going down and saying, no, he's not crazy. He has a demon in him. And the way he's, he's taking demons out of people is he's using the power of Satan himself. So when these crowds are gathering, you've got people that are already saying, you know what, Jesus is a lunatic. You know what, Jesus is possessed by a demon. And then imagine you come, you're hearing this, you're hearing other people saying he's doing great things, and you finally get to see him, and he comes up and he goes, a farmer went out to sow seed. He who has ears, let him hear, and walks away. What would you think? You'd go, okay, yeah, he's crazy. But for those who said, no, no, I know he's not. I know he's the Son of God. I'm going to search, I'm going to dig deeper. They come to Jesus and they say, okay, what did that mean? And Jesus then gives them the, the parable. So you understand it in context, how different it is? You know, I used to just think, ah, oh, it's just a parable about seed. That's nice and neat. But no, realize what's going on here. Realize why Jesus spoke in parables. It's so that people could write him off. So that people had the opportunity. People who didn't really want to know, they had the opportunity to just write him off right there. It's, it's the same thing in, uh, in Isaiah. Remember the story that we, we've told here several times? About the Isaiah 6, when, when Isaiah actually gets to walk into the throne room of God, and he sees God on his throne, and what's going on? The angels are screaming, holy, holy, holy. The foundations are trembling, you know, and it's filling with smoke. And Isaiah just goes, I'm ruined, I'm dead. And, and, and God sends his angel over to touch his lips and cleanse him. And then God says those words. He, he says, whom shall I send? Remember that? Then Isaiah 6, 8 is that, is that famous verse where Isaiah, in verse 8 of chapter 6, says, Here am I. Send me. He's just been forgiven by God, and God says, I need a messenger. Isaiah says, Send me. Verse 8. But then in verse 9, what God says, the message he gives to Isaiah, is this. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. 
Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. You see, what was his message to Isaiah? You're going to go out, you're going to give this message to the people, the people of Israel, but they're going to hear it, hear it, hear it, but it's never going to sink in. They're never going to understand it. And that's what Jesus is saying in this very parable. There are people who are never going to get it. And he's telling these people, if you have ears to hear, then listen to what I'm saying. But the rest of you, you're not really searching for it. You're not really wanting absolute truth. And there are people like that today who say, well, it's just too hard to understand. I throw it away. There's people who will say to me, some of you in this room, they will say, you know what, I don't believe anything in that book. And I'll ask you, have you ever really studied this book? And usually it's no. And it's like, well, I, I, I did a little bit when I was a kid. I read some stuff, you know, and I grew up in a you know, little Catholic school. He told us the Bible every once in a while. And Yeah, I'm sure you studied real thoroughly when you were eight. Um, you know, have you really searched this out? Is it really your heart's desire where you go, I want to know God. I want to know him with all my heart, and I'm going to search, and I'm going to find the answers, because the Bible says, if you do that, you'll find it. But the rest of the people, and the rest of the people here following Jesus, he's saying, they're not really following me. They're just nominal. They're just kind of surfacey. Let me tell you who's for real. And so the disciples come and say, okay, what did that mean? And he tells the parable. He explains it in verse 11. He says, okay, this is the meaning of the parable. He says this in secret to the disciples. Here's the meaning of the parable. He says, the seed is the word of God. He says there was a point to the story. The seed, the seed I was talking about, this symbolizes the word of God. Okay? The word of God. Now, if the seed symbolized the word of God, then who was the farmer or the sower? Christ was in that situation, but I'm also the sower, right? I'm throwing seed out. I'm throwing out the word of God. You sometimes are the sower. As you go and you share the word of God to other people, and you share the word of God. Anyone who spreads the word of God is a sower. But it's so important that you remember what he says there is the, the seed is the word of God. Nothing else. It's not opinion. It's not some self-help thing. The seed is the word of God. And that's why we're so committed here at this church that every time you show up on a weekend, you hear not opinion, not some self-help tips, but you hear the word of God. We toss out seed. Seed is the word of God. I could toss out cheese. I could toss out candy. You know, and some churches do that. Because why? Because people are more attracted to candy. You know, I could throw out some things that are just so sweet to listen to week after week and get more and more people flooding in here. But that's not our job. Our job is to spread the seed, the word of God. And the word of God isn't attractive to everyone, as God explains, as Jesus explains here. He explains in verse 12. He says, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. He goes, remember the story about this, the path? He says, the ones you toss on the path. He goes, those are the... Those are, those represent the people, their hearts are so hardened that they don't hear a thing. I mean, I can throw as many pumpkin seeds on the stage as I want, and guess what? No pumpkins are going to spring up. Why? It's not, nothing wrong with the seed, nothing wrong with the sower, it's about the soil. It's just not going to happen here. It's callous, and he says it's, and those birds that came and, and took it away, he goes, that symbolizes Satan that comes into the heart and takes it away. And there are so many people that come or hear this on television, and that's exactly where you're at. 
You come into this room, you, you know, your, your heart's hard, and you're going, this Jesus garbage, this Bible garbage, I don't need it. And I can, I can say whatever I want to say today, and you're not going to hear it. You already decided coming in, I want nothing, I want no part of this. And you're hardened. Your heart is absolutely hard, no matter what I say. I come here today, and I tell you, you know what? You have sinned against God. You've offended God. And you'll sit there and go, no, I haven't. I'm a good person. I've done a lot of good things in my life. I'm a good person, and God knows that. And I'll say, no, no, no. One day, you're going to have to stand before a holy God, and He's going to judge you. <laughs> no, He's not. You know what? There is no God. This all came from nowhere. That makes more sense. And you'll sit there and go, I'm not listening. There's a God. There's a God. Look, why would there be pain in the earth? And then I'll say, no, 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 you don't understand. Yes, you did offend God. There is a God. You have to answer him. And he will punish you for your sins for all of eternity. I don't believe in eternity. I don't believe in a hell. And I'll tell you, you know what? But he loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus. It says that he demonstrated his love to you in this. God so loved the world, he sends his son, and his son died for you. He loved you so much that he says, look, if you'll just believe in my son, he took the punishment for you. So if you believe that, at the end of your life, you don't have to pay the penalty. You go, I don't need Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't need any of that garbage. You'll sit there, and you'll walk out of here and go, yeah, that was stupid, and you'll move on. Why? Your heart's hard. I don't know what got it there. I don't understand how that all works. But you won't, even, you won't even consider it. He says that's what some people are like. They won't get saved. Because, you know, whatever they hear, Satan's going to pull it away. It's like throwing it on a path. Spender's other people. Verse 13. He goes, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So then he says, okay, remember the, the ones on the, on the rock. The idea is it lands on this shallow soil that's on top of the rock, and, uh, and it springs up. Oh, yeah, it's, it springs up real quickly, but it says it has no root. And it's interesting because Mark says they have no root within themselves. Okay, what's the point? Is the rock doesn't really have a root within itself. It's something else. It's, you know, making some sort of superficial growth. But once testing comes, he says it'll fall away. And the truth is, is there are plenty of people that can make some sort of decision. You know, we see it at crusades. We see it at, you know, these rallies and stuff. And people come up and they cry. And, and it seems like they just spring up and, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And then what happens? Shortly thereafter, it says in a time of testing, maybe life gets difficult. Maybe they start reading the scripture and realizing, wait, that's what it says? I don't like what the Bible says about sex, sexual immorality, homosexuality, abortion. I don't, I don't like what it says about a man's role, a woman's role, hell. I don't like those things. You know, I don't want any part in it. Or God didn't answer prayer the way I thought he was going to answer. So I'm leaving. I'm gone. I'm done. I thought this was going to be all fun. And it says in times of testing, when it got difficult, they fell away. See, people sometimes don't really make a decision for the Lord in their hearts. It may appear that way, but a lot of times, just like the rock, it never really got in the rock. It just appeared that way because there's a little soil on top. And maybe someone tossed some soil on you. Maybe you made some relationship, you know, some confession of, I believe in Jesus because, well, I was going out with a girl and she was really into God, so I kind of faked it. Or, 
you know, you know, I, I wanted to make my parents happy or this or that, or I was just feeling really emotional one day, really down one day, and so I did it. But in times of testing, you'll see whether it's real or not, whether it's still with you, or whether it's something that was superficial, hypocritical, it wasn't really in your heart. And Jesus says there'll be plenty of people like that in the crowd. And he says there's another soil. And this is the soil that I believe typifies the Conejo Valley. Okay, the, the area we live in and the time we live in, this is Conejo Valley soil, verse 14. It says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. This is what we see in our area where we live in our communities today is this type of soil. It says these are the people. They've got so many weeds in their lives. And it's not that the the soil doesn't want to grow. It's not that the seed doesn't want to grow. There are people in the world that say, man, I want Jesus. There's just, just not right now. There's too much stuff in my life. And it says that the, the weeds, what are they choked out by? It says by life's worries. Number one is life's worries. Number two was riches. And number three was pleasures. And the idea is this. He says, first of all, there are people that get choked out because they are so worried about life. And in and, and Mark, it says it's the worries of this present age. It's the things that remain here on earth that have no eternal value. People, they're so worried, going, yeah, but I got I to gotta work on the weekends because that's how I'm going to save for, you know, college education for my kids and, and retirement. And, and so I don't have time for God right now. I got to work extra hours. I got to do this. I got I to do something. And yet it's all about stuff here. It's nothing eternal. And you're more concerned about 20 years from now, whether you're still alive or not, and whether you have enough to retire on, You're more concerned about that than you are about the billions of years that come after that. But that sucks all your life, all of your energy. He says, if it's not that, then it's riches. Maybe you're not worried about making it and getting by. You're actually struggling with your riches. And your riches are all the things that you enjoy. And and, and here's the thing. If I I took a, a survey as everyone walked in today and said, hey, are you rich? Are you rich? Are you rich? Pretty much everyone's going to say, no, 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 no. And you say that because you've overspent. And you figure, well, I'm in debt. How can I be rich? Okay, that's not an excuse, okay? It just means that you're rich and you're stupid, okay? <laughs> you made a lot of money and you overspent it, okay? But it doesn't mean you weren't rich. You were rich. You were just foolish with your money. And so the idea is, is you know, there's so many people in the world that go, no, I'm not rich. You know, I make 100000 a year, but my bills are 120 you know? You know, you're rich. I'm saying... Compare yourself to everyone else that lives on this planet. Compare yourself to the average income on this planet. And then decide, are you rich? Okay, the truth is, is we're living out here, we're doing pretty good. We're doing well. And we can get preoccupied by our stuff and buying more and more things. We just find that small pocket of people that has more than us, and we go, well, no, they're rich, I'm not. No, we're rich. And sometimes we can get preoccupied by that and the stuff that we buy. Not only that, he says, it's it's life's worries, it's the riches, and it's pleasure. Now, again, let me say something. These things are not all necessarily sin in and of themselves. Like pleasure. Is it wrong to have fun? You know, is God saying, no, I don't want you having any pleasure on this earth? 
No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is when you put so much energy into that, into your hobbies and stuff, to where you have nothing left for the Word of God to really study it and get it in your heart, something's wrong. See, it's, it's, it's this picture of this soil only has so many nutrients in it, right? It's only got so many nutrients, and if the weeds take all the nutrients, there's nothing left for the seed. And the same is true for us. Look, I only have so much time in my life. I only have so much energy I can give. I only have so much emotional energy, physical energy. And if I give it all to all these things, what I call making a living, or or my toys, my entertainment, what I deserve in life, I can give all of my attention and energies to all these different things and have nothing left, no energy left toward reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, having it change my life. Serving God. It gets crowded out. And then there's the final soil. But the seed on the good soil stands for those who have a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. He says, then there are those people who hear the word of God and they have a good heart. Their soil is good soil. It's ready to hear the word of God. They're going to retain it And it's going to change them. And people are going to see it in their lives. It's going to produce fruit. It's going to produce a harvest. You hear the word of God, it impacts you, gets into you, and changes you. And that's the good soil. Now what's amazing to me is that there are people, many Christians today, that go, well, you know what? I'm not the good soil, but at least I'm here. And I thank God saying that that's good enough. That it's okay, because at least I have that desire, even though I'm in the weeds and everything else, I, I have that desire, and I think that's good enough. And I think the point of the parable is, yeah, that wasn't real, but this one is. You know, and I used to be on the path, used to be on the rock, but now I've graduated to weeds. Um, you guys, that's not the point of the message. The point of the parable is, is, is the farmer thrilled that he threw his seeds in here? No, it's a waste of a seed. It's not producing any fruit. No farmer goes, oh good, at least it's in the, in, the, in the weeds. No, it's still not going to produce fruit. This is the only good soil, the only thing we can be happy with. This is what we desire. You see, this is what happens. This is what happens every week here. Every week, I take the word of God. I throw some seed out, all right? Heads up. Okay, I toss seed. I toss seed all around the room, Okay. There you go. And it lands on some of you. It hits you. Everyone gets seed dropped by them. It, it lands everywhere. But what happens... No, I'm not going to try. Okay, what happens is for some of you, the seed comes to you and it just kind of goes... All right. And you just walk on. Okay? And week after week... This happens every week. You walk, you know, you walk in the sanctuary. Oh, I'm going to hear a message from Francis. All right. And you just walk out. Okay, every week. It never gets into you. It doesn't even have a chance. I mean, you came in here with such an attitude. You're half asleep, and it's like, oh, what hit me? Oh, never mind. And you just walk out of here. It was dumb. It was worthless. It was meaningless. You're like that, that path. It doesn't get in you. Okay? Now, there's others of you in this room that, that you, you, you grab the seed and go, oh, cool, seed. And you suck it in your mouth, and you go, you know, that is good. That is good. You may shake my hand because you're tasting. You go, mmm, it's good. It's good. I'm feeling it. I'm tasting it. It's salty. Yeah. You know, and you shake my hand. You walk out that door. You go, man, that was good. And you walk out of the parking lot. 
and you spit it out. Or you keep it in your mouth for a little bit, but eventually you spit it out. It never got in you. Yeah, you may have sprung up because of some emotion or something like that, but it never got into you. It's just all emotion. It's all hype. And there's others of you. There's others of you going, well, I'm not that. I'm not the second one. You know, when I hear what you say, when I hear what the Bible has to say to me, I want it. And so, you know, I throw a seed out at you, and you look at it and go, man, this is so cool. This is so good. And I'm going to eat it. You know what? But I'm going to stick it in my purse for later. And you stick it in your purse. You stick it in your pocket. What happens when you throw something in your purse? It gets lost, right? With everything else, all the clutter in your life. And you throw it in there. It gets down to the bottom. Or you toss it in your pocket and you forget about it. And you have all the intentions of eating it. You have all the intentions of applying it. But you never get there. And you come back the next week and you're getting more seed. And you think... Hey, what did I do with last week's message? I remember I liked it. I remember I was going to do it. Wait, what did Doug even talk about last week? Did I do anything with it in my life? It's in my purse somewhere. Let me find it. Or is it in my pocket? Oh, did I put it in the wash? Where is it? I've lost it. You never applied it. You wanted it, but all the things in your life during the week crowded it out, so you never applied it in your life. You just got too busy that week. You just got too cluttered. It got lost in everything. And so it never got into your heart. And then there are those who get the seed. Some of you this morning, some of you week after week, you get that seed, you hear it, you go, that's good, that's what I want. You chew it up. You taste it. One second. (laughs) And then you swallow it. It gets into you. And what does it do? It nourishes you. It changes you. There's effects to it throughout the week. And people will see the fruit. You know, a pumpkin will grow out your head. You know, you you got, I mean, it's just so blaring, so obvious. It's like, whoa, what happened to him? Well, the word of God got in his life. It changed him and everyone can see it. You know, and then you come back next week and you go, you know what? I want some more of that seed. I want more of that word of God because I want it to change me. Is that you? Does that describe you? Or do you say, no, I'm one of the other soils today? Last night we had a a baby dedication here that we don't normally do, but it was a unique circumstance. And um, I had the husband, uh, the, the dad of the baby, come up and share why they were dedicating their baby last night in front of everyone. And I did it because, you know what, I thought, you know what, this is a good example of the good soil. And so we videotaped it last night, and I want you to just look at the screens and um, just listen to this man's story. Um, If you don't know me, which most of you don't, I would probably label myself an A-type personality. I'm a can-do person. Give it to me. I can take care of it. Nothing, there's nothing that I can't take care of. And... This world really promotes that. That's a good thing. You can take care of it. You're self-sufficient. But what that personality does, every positive personality trait has a negative personality trait. And what I tend to do is I push God out of a lot of the compartments of my life. As human beings, we compartmentalize most things. We have our hobbies, and we have our home, and we have our family, and we have our church, and we have our kids, and we have all these compartments, and we, usually we say, okay, God, you're part of this, but 
I'll take care of that. Because it's really not, it's really, you don't need to take care of that. And I tended to do that. And I thought I was here. But realistically, there are so many things that crowd out God in my life that I'm probably here. I know the word of God. I can theologically answer most of the questions out there. And uh, I had a baby girl. She's beautiful. Folks, people look at my baby and go, I wish I could have a baby like that. She's so beautiful. And I started looking at my role as a father. And I'm like, as a human father, I'm supposed to show her what the love of God is going to be like. And it's funny how many parallels there are to human fathers and God's love for us. I tend to work late hours, and sometimes I get home at 11 o'clock at night, and my wife and I go to bed, and we lay down in bed, and we start talking. And after 20 or 30 minutes, I haven't seen my baby girl for a day and a half, and I go, let's get her up. And we go, and we pick her up, And we bring her into our bed and we've taken her out of her comfort zone so we can have a relationship with her. It's a lot of fun. She wakes up, she's yawning, we play. But I started thinking about that. And God has taken me out of my comfort zone. Three months ago, I thought I had popped my back out. And I, modern medicine, I went to chiropractor after chiropractor after chiropractor. And they said, oh, keep coming back. It'll get better, it'll get better, it'll get better. Finally, I went to a doctor and said, I'm not leaving until you do an MRI. And they said, bad news. You've got nine tumors in your chest. I've got two in my lungs, two in my back, one under my arm, and three in my stomach. The doctor said, he goes, it's not good. I'm like, oh, keep in touch. It's not good. (laughs) He said... If what we're going to do doesn't take, you have six to eight months to live, you might want to get your house in order. I started looking at my baby very differently. I started going, wait a minute, God. She's eight months old. I'm not going to see preschool. I'm not going to see first grade. And I started saying, God, this is not fair. And then I started saying, wait a minute. I was born in the 21st century in America. I got to grow up in the greatest country in the wealthiest state in the history of the world. I got 36 years on the planet. I got to marry the most beautiful, wonderful woman in the world. And I got to watch my baby get born. But fair to me is... I get to go to my granddaughter's wedding, dance with her at her wedding, go home, lay down, and die at the age of 80. Right? That's fair. God doesn't always give us that, folks. I've been growing up in a church all my life. And then you sing songs, and they just become normal. And there's a beautiful song about a believer who is looking towards home. And the song goes something like this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid out somewhere beyond the blue. 
The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I've probably sung that song a hundred times and I never meant it. I started looking at my family and looking at my father and looking at my brothers and sisters and we're as dysfunctional as the next group. (laughs) And I started thinking about how did my dad mirror God? When I was seven, I was in a horrific car accident. Four out of the five doctors who looked at my left leg said, let's just cut it off below the knee and save you a lot of time. One doctor said, I will try to heal your leg. My parents said, let's go ahead and try. Two years later, most of the time in the hospital, 13, 14 casts later, I had a working leg and the doctor said, do whatever he wants to do. Keep him as active as possible. Well, I was quite fast before the accident and I wanted to be on the track team. An elementary track, if you have a pulse, you're on the track team. <laughs> so they needed an extra person on the 100-yard dash, and I, had, I was just a couple months removed from my crutches. And the 100-yard dash, the gun goes off, and I'm hobbling. And by the time I had gotten to the 30-yard line, the race had been decided. But my dad was standing in the crowd going... Go, Todd. Go, Todd. Everybody's attention was at the end of the race. And I hadn't even gotten halfway. Everybody looked around. What is this guy yelling at? He saw his son that wasn't equipped to win the race. But he was cheering him on just to finish the race. It's kind of like God. God doesn't say you're going to win. He just says, finish the race. I'm blessed. I don't want to die. I got my hair cut today, and I thought this could be the last time I get my hair cut. I'm going into chemotherapy, and they don't know if it's going to work. But I was, I was reading something in the middle of the Bible. is the book of Psalms 118. And in that book, the middle chapter, the middle verse of the Bible, the center of the Bible, it's a two-line verse. It says, it is better to take refuge in God than to trust in man. So I've got modern medicine. Or I've got the great physician. God came and said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. He wasn't talking about physical life. He was talking about his kingdom after you die. Folks, I would hope that you would pray for me and I'm going to be selfish and ask God to give me more time. I look at my baby and I I want to be there for her. I think about my wife and Will she remarry? (laughs) But God has brought me closer to him. Because you walk out of here tonight and you think, okay, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to put money away for college and 
God becomes an afterthought. And you remember him, oh, Sunday morning next week or Saturday night next week. God's taken me out of my slumber so he can have a relationship with me. I love God. I just tend to put him on the back burner. And he is a jealous God. I don't know if I could give my baby a a toy that she would then want to spend more time with the toy than me. I'd take the toy away. I pray tonight, you that believe in the Lord, ask him to heal me. Not because I deserve it, but so I can be a light to Emma. She's wonderful. And she deserves so much. Thank you. We prayed for uh, Todd and Shana and Emma last night, and I just thought it'd be appropriate if, uh, as a church body, we all prayed for them even through this morning and hopefully beyond today. Um, They're doing well. They were overwhelmed last night by the support of all these people that came alongside of them. The church is going to be taking care of them financially. And... um, One of the most encouraging things was, you know, Todd called me on his way home from the hospital and just lost it. Um, we talked for a bit, but he hadn't told his wife yet. She was away on a trip, and so I gave him some time to talk, and the next day I called Shana, just concerned about her. She used to be my assistant here at the church, and just said, hey, how, how's it going? And um, I was blown away by her response. She says, you know, Francis, yeah, this... This has been really devastating, but I know God loves me. And I know God's going to take care of me and Emma, with or without Todd. He's going to do it, because he is a good God. I was like, wow. You know, that's the good soil. The person doesn't say, oh, I'll believe and follow when everything's good. But when things are difficult, you go, you know what? I dig into my roots. I know who I believe. I know my God is good. And you know what? There's... God is going to take care of them. God is going to do amazing things in their lives. We prayed for Emma and just that God would raise her up to be a godly young woman. And I believe God's going to do that. And, and I ask you to join me um, this morning as we pray for Todd and Shana. Would you do that?